no more beautiful than the children. Uh, Kennedy and Harley were up here, and Harley's mom, Casey, we know each other from Crossville, but uh, if y'all noticed, Harley didn't have shoes on. She was on holy ground. I was thinking about Jesus, though, taking the children up in his arms, and he blessed them. And you know he was probably grinning at them, watching them uh, as kids and barefooted, and him taking them up in arms and blessing them. So uh, what a great blessing children are. This morning the sermon title is uh, Being a Servant by Serving. What a, what a great idea. But in order to be a servant, you have to serve. Up on the screen, you'll see in just a moment just some things that you do here in our church and you serve, a whole list of ways you, you can serve. And many of you do several of those. In fact, that's usually the case in churches. You have so many that serve in so many areas, but partly because God has gifted you with certain abilities and uh, certain gifts and all. But these are just many ways that you, you serve right here locally. So I'm going to talk about servanthood. Obviously, the local church is one place, but you may be serving uh, by helping financially to give to Houston, people in Houston. It may be that you walk across the street and just smile and invite somebody to church and help somebody. There's so many ways that you and I can serve each other, but by being a servant, you got to serve. And so thank you for serving in so many ways. We fed about 150 people on Friday. We also had some leftovers. We made up some food afterwards on Friday, Layla Love, and ended up taking it to part of the RSVP and the EMA. They had some volunteers that were getting ready to go out to harvest, so we had some food left over and we fed them. Just ways that we serve. And so, I mean, there's multiple ways in which we can serve. But I want to challenge you today about how do you serve God. And I also want to look at a very strong reminder in the book of Romans that we're to give our lives as a living sacrifice before all that happens. So uh, we're going to read in Romans, in the uh, 12th chapter, verses 1 through 8. I have the text there up on the screen. I'm going to read it very slowly. So Romans 12, verses 1 through 8. I want you to listen about what it's saying as it's leading us up to being servants and different abilities and gifts and prophecies that the Holy Spirit gives to us. But listen to these words as I begin in verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Now, I'm going to continue to talk about that, but let that sink in a minute. And if the Spirit of God is telling us this is, this is what I expect, I, I want you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Well, what does, that, what does that mean to you? you know, how, how regularly are we supposed to do that? And do not be conformed to this world in verse 2. So we know that there's a challenge between the flesh and the spirit. And do not be conformed to this world, which would mean that it's possible that we can. If we're not careful, we slip back into the world. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So that's part of the goal of giving our lives as a living sacrifice. We know that the Holy Spirit is the one who transforms us, the transformation, but the renewing of our minds so that we can know what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Then verse 3, after all of that, for I say, through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself or herself more highly than they ought to think but to think soberly or humbly 
as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. So God's given everybody a measure of faith. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. That's hard for us to do sometimes. Verse 4, for as we have many members in one body, but all of the members do not have the same function. So we, being many, are one body in Christ, but individually members of one another. So the Holy Spirit's working among us, the body of Christ. God has chosen in your journey of your life to connect with people here in this body of Christ. And he says, I so want you to know that you have faith and you have grace and operate among individual members but among one another. Verse 6, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. Don't miss that line. Let us use them. If prophecy, then let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, the one who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, which all of us are to give, but there are some I believe that God graces with a special anointing and a blessing financially that they are to give, and they do it freely and liberally without, without argument. He who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy and shows cheerfulness and kindness and goodness. The day that you and I own to the name of Jesus, the day that we say, I want to be saved, I want the salvation that God gives to me, the day that we do that, we immediately become his servant. When you're first saved, you don't usually think of it like that, and perhaps you did, maybe you didn't, but generally we don't just think, we're just excited we got saved, we're forgiven of our sins. But scripturally, you become a servant of God, and it is a lifelong process. Again, we may not fully understand it at first, but as we continue on the journey, and as we continue to surrender, which we're supposed to do, and as we continually surrender to his lordship, then being a servant of his should become and then remain forever the DNA, the essence of your Christianity. That's the way it works. You are a servant. And I've chosen two scriptures to make us go back and look at Jesus and the example that he set. But all through the Bible, the understanding of servant is there, and especially in the New Testament, but in Philippians 2, 5 and 8, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. So we, we're supposed to think like he thinks. Let this mind be in you that is in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bond servant. He chose to do that. Came from heaven came on this earth, didn't want to flaw in his reputation, but he came as a bondservant. Coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and he became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. So he set an example for us. God, I, help me in my journey with you to not care about my reputation, to not make that above other people, not think of myself too highly than I ought to think. He did that, and so he chose to become a bondservant, and it says he humbled himself, and he was obedient. So we know that if he did that, his expectations of us are the same. He decided, I'm going to be a servant of God. I'm going to humble myself before you, God, and I'm going to be obedient to that. 
Then Jesus said this in Matthew 20. Matthew 20, verses 26 and 28. He said, Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And, and whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man, he did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give himself and his life as a ransom for many. So again, these are only two or three passages, but it's clear in the Bible that believers are to give their lives in service to Jesus. And I know that can come in all kinds of forms imaginable. We just listed a whole bunch of them. You saw them up there. A greeter, an usher, serve a ladle of love, be in the praise band, sing in the choir. All of those are ways that we can serve. It may be at home. It may be in the church. But you and I are called to be servants. Warren Wiersbe has written many books, probably 75, 80 books. I like him. He's an American pastor. He pastored Moody Church in Chicago for many years. He's now a conference speaker. And he wrote a book on being on being a servant of God. Now, in the book, I'm about to give you two quotes. One of them is pretty heavy, and I want you to wrestle with it. But in the book, on being a servant of God, he was talking about making reference to every generation. It doesn't matter what generation we are. It doesn't matter if it's 2017 or 2,000 years ago or 1,000 years ago. He still calls us to be servants. And so he was talking about we're all the same in every generation. So here's the quote. People are still people. Churches are still churches. Human nature hasn't changed. And the enemy is as deceptive and as destructive as ever. Now, I'm going to paraphrase. In other words, human nature doesn't just usually decide. Again, the flesh and the spirit, they struggle against one another. So normally, the human nature doesn't usually just say, hey, I believe I'll be a servant. Most of the time, we don't just just think that, hey, let me be a servant. I don't want to, just let me serve in any way that I can. But that's not our normal tendency. Satan also knows, because he said the enemy is deceptive. And we know that. In Revelation, it says that he is the accuser. That is, Satan is the accuser of the brethren day and night. He's relentless with it. It also tells us that he goes around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And so Satan knows the Bible. He knows it better than we do. And he knows that God has called us to be servants. So he does not, Satan the enemy, does not want us to develop a servant attitude. That'd be dangerous to his kingdom for all believers to truly develop a servant's heart. And so the enemy attacks us in that. Wiersbe goes on to say this. As he connects servanthood in the book, servanthood with ministry. And just trust me on this. I'm not a scholar on Greek, but the word, the root word, the Greek word for servant that you oftentimes see in the New Testament is connected to ministry. So he makes this statement. God don't, doesn't want us to have ministry by imitation. God doesn't want us to have ministry by imitation. God wants us to have ministry by incarnation. a deep statement you may be thinking I've heard that word incarnation that's why we celebrate Christmas incarnation means that God became human that's Christmas the incarnate God so what does that have to do with us in ministry we know that the Holy Spirit is the one who gives us the abilities and the gifts 
it's the Spirit of God who's the one who gives us faith. It's the Spirit of God is the one who gives us grace. And so then we become Christ to other people. We don't literally become Jesus Christ, lies in their incarnation, but it's the Spirit of God dwelling in us who fills us with these gifts, but then it, it, it puts a face close and personal when we serve other people, whether it's somebody right across the street in Gadsden, whether it's a homeless person that comes up, and we deal with them and we become a servant to them, not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. We become a servant, and so it's up close. That's incarnational ministry, following Christ and being Christ to other people. In this passage in Romans, we are instructed to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. I want to ask you to do something this week. I want to challenge you. I also want to encourage you to do this. And I've... I've I practice what I preach, or at least I try to. I'm not good at it all the time. But I promise you, every sermon that I preach to you, i got three more fingers pointing back at me. I want to challenge you to do something. If he said that we're supposed to give our lives as a living sacrifice, when's the last time you did that? And perhaps there's different ways you've done it. I want to suggest, I know that a lot of times in your quiet time, you get down on your knees, and, and I, 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 love to practice being on my knees or something about it. And I'm not suggesting you have to do it this way, but I've told y'all before that just sometimes in my prayer life, I'll just get down and I'll lay on the floor with my arms stretched out and put my face to the carpet. And I did that a couple of times this week. Again, you may think, I can't get up if I do that. Well, don't do that then. But you can give your life as a living sacrifice. I recommend you do it. If he said that that's what we need to do, and if we're going to know our abilities, if we're going to know the fruit of God's Spirit and, and the gifts that we have in our life, then somewhere in there we have to come to that place. And so this afternoon or maybe in the morning, just in your own way, just say, God, you told me in your word to give my life as a living sacrifice. So I want to do that, God. I'm yours. Use me give you myself as a living sacrifice. I don't know if you practice that that often, but again, I want to challenge you and recommend. I took these verses and I just put it into my own prayer. I wrote it this way. Lord, I present my body as a living sacrifice to you. Lord, I know that this is my reasonable service. Lord, I, I, I don't want to be conformed to this world, but I desire to be transformed by the renewing of my mind that I may prove, that I may understand, that I may know what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God for my life as your servant. That's basically what the word said right there. And so in order to operate in those last verses, we've got to do the first thing first. And so I encourage you to do that. But as you're wrestling with it now, what does it mean to you when you give your life as a living sacrifice? What does that mean? Tyler and I and Ken, we surrendered at some point in our life as a call to ministry. God's not going to call everybody to ministry, but he might call you. And I think sometimes we're afraid to do that because of what he might ask us to do. But it's still there. God, I give you my life as a living sacrifice.
Then we're reminded about spiritual abilities, God-given gifts. God wants to use these abilities and gifts in service to one another and as a part of the body of Christ. We're to do this free from any desire for status. Each member is to prayerfully and thoughtfully seek to understand their abilities and then use them, as it said in there. Then use them. You have these gifts for the benefit of the whole. And I want to remind you that being a servant among the body of Christ may be part of it, but it may be for you being a servant is lived out within your own home. Maybe that's where it needs to begin. Lana and I could never have imagined when Dave was born 33 years ago that we would be serving him in the way that we do. Y'all know he's on dialysis. If you're visiting, the other son's on dialysis. And I, and I thought about that this week, not in an emotional way, but I, I thought about it as I helped him get in the wheelchair and lock him in and, and get his oxygen and getting him there and Lana and picking him up and we're being a servant not what I thought would happen but that's a part of the season of my, our lives right now we're servants so, so some of you that are caregivers God bless you but being a caregiver is, is a servant it may be though that it's here at church even this week we, we've seen an increase in number of people coming in off the street in the last year and a half, just increase. I thank God for our staff ministering to people all the time. Tria Self took somebody to the emergency room this week. We had another domestic violence issue this week connected with the Salvation Army. A few weeks ago, we had another sexual uh, violence, and uh, we had to get them out of arm's way. We worked through the agencies. Uh, we had to get them away from Gadsden, get them out of arm's way. And again, I, I, I needed to have a female go with me. I called Lana and Madeline, so they rode in the car with me. They became a servant as we carried this woman out of Gadsden, out of arm's way. All that happens all the time. We are servants of the Most High God. We're to serve God. It may be here, it may be locally, it may be somebody again across the street or somebody walking down the street. But we are called to be servants. How do you become a servant? I'm a servant. I shared this story in the early service, and I think I've shared it with you before because we've got hurricanes on our, on our minds. When Katrina hit, I went with a group of preachers, and Ken may have gone on this trip too, but I, we were in a group, and we ended up in Pascagoula, Mississippi. And uh, the team that I was with, mostly made up of preachers, they gave us an assignment. We slept on the second floor of Pascagoula, First Methodist Church, because it had been flooded below. And they gave us a particular man to go to his house and work, which we worked there three or four days. Uh, his name was Mr. Full of Love. I'm not making this up. That was his name, Full of Love. So Mr. Full of Love, we went into his house, and he rode out the hurricane. He told us how he got into the kitchen, got up on the counter, and took the coffee table and sat up on the counter and crawled up there. He's about 91. And he crawled up there, and he said, you know, I knew it was getting bad because all the power had gone off. And he said, I, I watched the water come up above the stove, and then I felt my ankles getting wet and everything. He said, I was a little nervous. Well, the water subsided, but his whole house was in total disarray. So we were gutting it out, taking out sheetrock and everything, and he didn't have a place to sleep. So we took up money, those in our team, our group, we took up money, and one of the guys drove to Mobile and bought a Lazy Boy and a lawnmower. He was worried about the grass. In the middle of all the destruction and everything going, he was worried about that grass because it messed his lawnmower up. So we took up money and got him a Lazy Boy and a lawnmower, we got the lawnmower ready, and we were going to mow grass later. We're inside taking out sheetrock and hauling stuff out. 
we hear the mower running. It's Mr. Full of Love. He's out there. I mean, we got to get this grass mowed. So uh, why did we do that? Servants, just serving. I asked Mr. Full of Love, and we gathered around and prayed for him when we left, and he sure was proud of that lazy boy too. I said, Mr. Full of Love, if another hurricane comes, what are you going to do? He said, boys, I'm heading north. I'm heading north. Now, I don't know if he's even still alive or not, but there's so many ways we can be a servant. Chuck Swindoll in his book, Wisdom for the Way, said, when God's call comes, will he find us ready and willing to stand for him? Will he find in us hearts that are completely his? Will we be able to say, ah, yes, or will he be able to say, will God be able to say, ah, yes, that one's heart is completely mine, no doubt about it. Yes, there's sufficient commitment there for me to use that life. Swindoll goes on to say, if your Christianity hasn't put that kind of steel in your spine, that quality of marrow in your bones, then there's something terribly wrong, either with the message you're hearing or with your heart. God wants our hearts to be completely His. Three words real quickly that help remind us of our servanthood. God needs people with commitment, consistency, and compassion. Commitment, consistency, and compassion. In other words, you have to decide to roll up your sleeves and be a servant. Romans says, God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. And so we have to use them. I'll close with this story from Isaiah. You're familiar with it in Isaiah the 6th chapter. Isaiah 6. Isaiah has heard God's call on his life. He has come into the presence of God. The anointing of God is there. And Isaiah gets so close that he heard the voice of the Lord saying in Isaiah 6, 8. And again, the voice didn't say, Isaiah, can I get you to do something for me? He just got close enough to God, which I think a part of us saying, Lord, I give my life as a living sacrifice. And if we really want that, if we really mean that, I think we'll hear something similar coming out of heaven. So he heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And you know what he said. Here I am. Send me. Let's pray together. God, we love you and praise you. We thank you, God, for your word. We, we know, God, we sing clearly that we're to give our lives as a living sacrifice for you. Help us do that first, God. The rest of our servanthood will begin to fall into place, but we must continually give our lives as a living sacrifice. Help us to be able to say, yeah, I'm right here, God. I'm right here. Send me. God, help us respond to your word, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Our closing hymn.